Well, I do love the Word of God, and I love to share the Word. <clears throat> Sometimes there are things in the Word that I'm not excited about sharing. Uh, how many of you know the Word of God is costly? <laughs> uh, uh, I know you. the church here is going to be working to uh, really expand your evangelistic reach, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about that a little today. Uh, I have fun talking about evangelists. I love evangelists. They're easier to get along with than the prophets, for sure. <laughs> but I, I love to, you know, to harass the evangelists. And I say, you know, you guys don't tell the whole truth. You talk about, you know, Jesus come into your life and all your problems will change and all this incredible stuff. But you don't read the fine print on the contract. Many of you know that none of us get out of this alive. <laughs> Come on, work with me. And the you that received Jesus hopefully is not going to be the same you when you go to meet him. You will be introduced to God's ways and means committee. How many of you know that Jesus has a ways and means committee? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when, when you're in that place, which we are socially, which is what we're going to talk about, um, we have to, as some of my southern friends say, put on our big boy pants and face up with what reality is. Holy Spirit, help us. Uh, Proverbs 16, 4 uh, is one of these little verses that is a hydrogen bomb, if you unpack it. The Lord has made everything for its, I'm sorry, everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. So the Bible tells me that there is a day of evil, and there have been days of evil in a fallen world from the very beginning. Great historic challenges, plagues, war. Uh, we lost 100 million people in World War II. That's a lot. Of, how many have ever been to a football game with 60, 70,000 people? Think about 100 million. That's a lot of people. So we've seen all that. The main thing that I want to say to you this morning is that our Christian walk is in the context of the time that God has put us on the earth, which, by the way, was his sovereign choice. Were any of you asked when you were going to show up? Anybody get, you know, bargain with God when you'd show up? I'm quite sure that when we talk about life on this planet, uh, in the age to come, and we talk to the lifestyle that so many billions of people lived that looks nothing like ours, especially they were hungry, the average lifespan was in the low 30s, a third of women died in, died in childbirth. Uh, we We are in on the that level, we are in the most privileged time to ever be a human being. 
It's not even close. Now, like many things, we're not aware of that. Uh, if we were more aware of it, we would be more grateful. But this is an amazing time to be alive. The social context is the context in which your life and my life, our Christianity, however deep it is, our Christianity, however deep it is, is designed by God to match the times of the culture in which he has placed us. Now, uh, Christians have never been accused of thinking too much. Come on, work with me. <laughs> oh, Lord. What, how many of you besides me, before you were a Christian, did not want to become a Christian? Oh, there's, there, we need the crowd's got to become more honest if we're going to go where we need to go. Yes, sir. Um, Christians, from my, you know, I, I was in Berkeley in the 60s, which I was an athlete on my way to the NFL and hopefully the Olympic decathlon and all that stuff, got injured and went into an identity crisis and Berkeley was a great place for an identity crisis in the 1960s. Uh, everybody and their dog came through to Berkeley. I drank with Janis Joplin. I, I was around, you know, the whole, the whole thing. Uh, deeply offended, uh, born and raised in Seattle, uh, came down to California and got a chance to fellowship with people from the other parts of the U.S., the South. And I was a running back. I believe it or not, was one of the few white guys that could run with the brothers. I was fast. I wasn't on the top, top level, but I ran pretty, pretty quick. And when I found out what was still going on in the South, I was offended to the core of my life and got very involved in the civil rights movement, arrested, did the marches, did the whole, whole nine. <clears throat> and... Uh, for a season, my background was political theory. had a privilege of studying with one of the great political theorists of the 20th century, a man named Sheldon Wolin. If you look him up, you'll see he was viewed as a premier uh, teacher on that. And so, of course, I had to read Marx, and uh, I was around the socialists. I was around the Communist Party. Uh, considered myself a Marxist for a while. If you get into political theory and you're not a Marxist for a while, you didn't read deep enough, okay? But if you stayed in it, you really needed help. But I'm saying all that to say, uh, when I encountered Christ, I really came back to the Lord, encountered Christ, I said to the Lord, if you love me, please don't make me a Christian. <laughs> now that may shock you, but... Being in Berkeley and around the revolution and, you know, seeing the fantasy socially that a lot of Christians live in. And the thing that offended me when people would witness to me is all they would really tell me is what Jesus had done for them. 
And I smoked a lot of weed, taking LSD. This is truth. If you can't tell it right in the church, where are you going to tell it? Okay. How many want to declare the church to be the truth zone? Okay. The, we were the ones that were smoking weed for higher consciousness. I'm serious. And right behind us were the teeny boppers that could care less about higher consciousness. I mean, it was a very strange thing in those times. But at least, even when I was unsaved, I realized I needed somebody to save me from me. And when I heard Christians witness to me, it was all about me, 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 me. And I said, if Jesus is who you say he is, why has he left you in you? Can you relate at all to what I'm trying to say? Being as lost as I was, I at least understood the problem was Dennis. What and who can give me something that will take me out of me because me cannot be the reason for living? Amen? So evangelism must not be taking people into baptized me. And I'm ruining some of you because once you understand that, you're going to be able to hear what baptized me sounds like from some people because it's still all about them. It's all about what Jesus did for them. Now, praise God, praise God for all Jesus does for us. But at some point in the game, you've got to come to the place where you realize it's not about us, it's about him. It's about him. Jesus Christ, Acts 17, 28, in whom we live and move and have our being. That, that verse is so heavy that when I really read it, I cut it out and put it over the business that my wife and I had started over the doorway just to get that point of reality there with us. So how does God get us to the point where it's no longer just about us? The Ways and Means Committee has a thing called serious problems. Because until you've had to deal with the pressure of serious problems, you don't really know who you are and you don't really know what you believe. Can I get a witness? I just want to make sure I'm, I get you, sister. I, I just want to make sure I'm in the right place. Raise your hand if you've ever been in enough trouble, enough problem that you got an education on who you are. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you, Jesus. They're, they're getting more honest the longer I'm up here. <laughs> so pressure is what God uses to reveal to us what cannot otherwise be discovered. Jesus, or I should say, well, I'll, I'll put it this way, the, the Holy Spirit plays hardball. Yeah. 
without gloves. People die. Things shouldn't happen. There's betrayal. There's all the stuff that we have to go through in life to reveal what God wants to show us about where we need to grow and where we need to change. Amen? And that is what I'm saying the evangelists don't tell the whole story. How many of you besides me, if you'd known some of the things that were going to happen to you as a Christian, you might have thought twice about jumping, okay? I get some more honest people raising their hands. So here's the point that I want to make, and I need to speed up. God has an answer for you. It's called the United States of America in 2020. I have been spiritually awake for 52 years, and I'm not a slacker. Uh, I've been serious about the journey, believe me. In February of 2020, I was having some heart issues, some arrhythmia. And I was at home for, I, I travel, Mark and I, I travel around the world three and a half million miles up there in the air. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not flying. And in February of 2020, I began to perceive a shift in the spiritual realm of things that was breathtaking. It took all my nerve to be able to hold steady in what I saw. Now, I have a background as a political economist. I work with public policy my life. I understand the consequences of stuff. I know things I wish I didn't know. And I began to feel, wow, the change that we are going into is unlike anything I've ever experienced anywhere in the world. The great clock of God changed. And America appears to have changed so fast that it's it's dizzying. I mean, you how many of you besides me talk to the television? (laughs) How many of you besides me pray in tongues when you watch the television? I'm not kidding you. I do. I've man. I'm a same old teche sanata kabaside. Have no idea what I said, but I need to get that out. I mean, these people are nuts. You did what? You said what? You what? What has <laughs> become my now most used word? What? <laughs> so the question is. All of us are up to bat. We are all together going to get an opportunity to see what America and the world, because it is flat. This is a flat world. I hope you understand. A flat world means the whole world is dealing with the same stuff. Technology changed the game forever. By the way, I have a book some of you need to read. You must read The Revolt of the Public. 
by a former CIA analyst. You must read that book. And it, it explains what technology has done to totally fragment, because of so much knowledge, all the authority from the given governmental leaders on the whole planet can now get a, cannot get away with controlling the news. And that has changed the whole game. It's called The Revolt of the Public. If you're a serious thinker, you need to read it. We appear to have divided almost 50-50. And it wasn't just around Trump. If you believe that, you don't understand what's really going on. It's way bigger than the personality of Trump. It is a cumulative effect of where we have been moving in this culture really since the 60s. The 60s was the decade that began the major changes that have now arrived here on the, on the spot in 2020. We can no longer agree on truth in fact, philosophically, in my world, philosophically, we've done everything we can to determine that there is no such thing as truth. There's only multiple people's perspectives. Once a culture does that, uh, there's a word I want to use. Can I use it? It's not swear. We're absolutely screwed. Am I communicating? Once we can no longer agree that objectivity exists, what in the world is going to pull us together to rally around any transcendent reality? Now those of us, and I do what I'm talking, I do what I'm talking about for a living. I'm an analyst, so to speak, activist and an analyst, okay? Historically, when any civilization can no longer agree on what holds them together, they pretty quickly begin to fragment and spin apart. How far are we going to spin? So there is something on God's mind that is extremely relevant to what we're talking about. It's called the kingdom of God. It is that thing that Jesus cares enough about. He wants us all to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, no matter what it costs me. This is called show up and stand up. How many of us are willing to be living in, in a time of great conflict, of major economic problems. There is a, a, a phenomena in the world of economics that I've only heard once on television on Fox News. It's called the fiscal gap. Look it up. It's the true indebtedness of the United States. I'll pick on us but there's one globally. When you put all our, all our pensions 
and all our IOUs, not just the federal, all forms of debt, our indebtedness is not $26 trillion. It's been around $180 trillion. Between there and $200 trillion for those economists who are working with those figures. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about economics. I, when I did come to Christ, I read the Bible as an economist because that's the way my intellectual brain had been trained. And to me, the book was jumping all over the place, answering a lot of political economic things because a kingdom requires the management of nations. Hello. See, we... <laughs> Part of what all this change is about, God wants to recenter the church away from heaven to the kingdom of God. Because heaven is just the description of where the kingdom of God takes place in a full manifestation. We are, we are called by Christ in the Lord's Prayer, to focus on the kingdom. And that is because, one, he wants to give us a kingdom consciousness, which is God's antidote to being self-centered. I could say that we could stop here and preach for a couple of hours. God's antidote to my selfishness is his kingdom. Now, dealing with public policy, which Mark, I know some in here with us, we've actually created a methodology using the scripture and a device we call 12 Master Principles to demonstrate and create what biblically-based public policy looks like based on the word of God. The question is, how do we inject that into a secular world that doesn't want to hear what we have to say? We have too few Christians with a voice who are willing to wade in to the accusation and, and the uh, bullying that is out there and growing every day so that, so that our culture is moving where nobody is allowed to talk if you're not with a certain group. That's a really, really scary situation. And I just step out of that for a moment. When we're talking about evangelism, evangelism will never really come to where Christ wants it until we get out of the fear of communicating boldly with other people. We are afraid to be rejected. We're afraid to be demeaned. We're afraid when people counter what we might say. Now, in the first service, we talked, and I'll bring this up quick and get out of it. We talk about pressure revealing what we really know, but a better way to say it is, what do you own from the scriptures? You don't, and I, 
We don't know what we own until we've been tested to see. And if we're going to evangelize successfully, we can't be doing it off somebody else's sermon or somebody else's testimony or somebody else's anything because God has allowed all human beings to have some kind of a barometer inside of them that can tell when they're talking to somebody that really is what they're advocating, then you listen. And what we need is to become clear enough on what we own that when we're talking to another human being about anything, let alone the gospel, they perceive the reality This is not something that I believe. This is something that has captured me and is now a part of me. It's no longer an abstraction. It's a divine infusion of something in me that is so deep. When you feel it and when you hear it, because hearing, faith comes by hearing. When you hear the sound, of God and another human being. You can't walk away from it. Even if you temporarily reject it, it will come up again and again and again. And that is where God wants to take us. Now, I'll I'll speed this up. How, How divided are we going to get over these things? How many times are they going to change the goalposts? How many scientists do we have to hear speaking against each other with all their PhDs and all the letters behind their names and all the differences of points of view around this stuff? We're seeing the fragmentation of what that's doing in this country. And where are we going to stand in the church? I don't want to stand as a Democrat. And I don't want to stand as a Republican. I want to stand as a citizen of the kingdom of God. In D.C., I've worked a lot in D.C., the common phrase was there's two parties in D.C., the evil party and the stupid party. I leave you to analyze which one is which. What is, is our difference really only going to show up when one group goes to heaven and the other one goes out of the presence of God? Or how much difference is going to be manifested and demonstrated, not just by individuals, but a whole coagulation, a whole coming together of these strange people called Jesus followers. How much of that is going to happen, supposed to happen, must happen. God requires that it happen before he returns physically. See, if you're still asking when is Jesus coming back, you don't don't understand. That isn't the question. The question is why is he coming back? What has happened on the earth that things are now ready 
to stop this insane game and move to another level in eternity because we were trained enough in earth life to now move the game into eternity. What is that supposed to look like? And I'll tell you this, when we find what it's supposed to look like and begin to live it out, then we can ask, when is he coming? And it won't be long. We won't recognize, say this prophetically, we won't recognize the church as we now see it 20 years from now. We're going to be forced by cultural pressure to create something different than what we look like right now. And you and I, I'm on the fourth quarter of my pardon that, some of you younger, my grandchildren, I got 12 grandchildren. I have an obligation to my grandchildren to do everything I can to try and help fix what needs fixing. You wouldn't like me if you came against my grandchildren and I was there. Okay. How far, how, how much are we going to have to pay so that Jesus is glorified, the kingdom is magnified, and we are a witness on the, on the earth, not later, but in the now. And I'm very clear Jesus isn't coming back to a perfect world. Okay? I'm not saying that. COVID, the economic issues, foreign policy, pour me a drink and make it a triple. That's an expression I have. Don't, I don't drink triples, but some of you are so holy you can't even talk. Okay? Pour me a drink and make, me a, make it a triple. Do you have any idea what the Afghanistan situation just did to global politics? How many of you besides me would not want to be in a treaty with the current United States of America? We leave no one behind except the ones we leave behind. Okay. And the ramifications politically of that are just really tough. Really tough. Education. We work in a country, and this is what they'd love to do here in America. They got psychologists in the high schools. And if parents engage their children on gender identity issues, they're called to meet with the psychologist. And they tell you that if you don't stop that, you're gonna, we're taking your children away from you for a while. And they're actually doing that. Welcome to where that side wants to move education. And there's no reasoning. That's, that is what is so scary about where this division is. There's no reasoning. What you get is a bath of hate. Now, all of us are invited into the bath of hate. I sit there and I watch things happen on TV and it'll stir me up. I have to cool my engines 
I have to pray in tongues because things are so crazy and so offensive. And God has got to bring us to the point where as a people, somewhere down the road, I just hate to say this, but it's somewhere down the road, the church has got to have our own discussion. I, I work with past, a lot of pastors. The pastors are afraid right now to talk over the pulpit because they don't know how much there's a division within the church. We're, we are, <laughs> before we can fix anything out there, we got to fix what's in here. We've got to have the discipline in Christ to talk about the things in here and, and be able to work through with, a, with an atmosphere where the congregation is mature enough to not let what's out there get in us. I don't know what that's going to look like. You know, if the world was mine, I'd have a meeting with all the pastors in the world. I'm serious. And we would talk about how do we move into the conversation we must have inside the walls of the church because we ain't going to be able to help what's going on in the world till we can get it fixed here. So thank you to my little sermon. I'm sure you'll go home really excited. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> you know, he hasn't been here for a couple of years. Can we make sure we keep it another couple? I know you don't feel that way. But I'm saying, look, guys, we got to grow up and we got to face the music. And Christ died for us to face the music and model something that the world can never reproduce right or left because it only comes from the Holy Ghost in the community of Christ. God bless you.